0: Hello again, Chelsea fans, and welcome to another episode of View from the Bridge. I'm Scott Trotter, and I'm here today again with Adam Newson. Adam, how are you doing?
1: Good, thank you. Good, thanks for uh, setting this all up on a Friday morning before we have the press conference later.
0: Yeah, well, as always, plenty to talk about. And I guess you've joined us by plans, trends, and frustrating e-passport gates to to be here. So it's good to have you back and I guess, maybe good to be back after another Chelsea defeat, despite uh, maybe a more promising performance.
1: Yeah, it was uh, an interesting uh, trip out to Dortmund. Um, it was my first time there. Uh, not a great deal to do in the city itself. Um, but, you know, Iduna Park lived up to its billing in terms of uh, its atmosphere and... Uh, just its sheer size really stood out for me. Um, so it was a good experience to go. Um, the match itself was p- pretty much what we've come to expect from Chelsea, unfortunately, over the last, well, probably four years. Um, this is what they do. They've, they're they a team that create chances and they're a team that don't take them. Um, it was the same under Frank Lampard. It was the same under Thomas Tuchel. And now it's, uh, it's Cumber. Full circle now with Graham Potter as well There were a lot of There were a lot of encouraging Individual performances I thought Uh, There wasn't Necessarily the greatest Of structure on Chelsea's part Especially in the first half It was a very open game Uh, Dortmund I don't know if it was because it was Dortmund It felt almost quite Bundesliga In terms of there was a lot of space There was a lot of transitions A lot of counters Um. But Chelsea had their chances, didn't take them and obviously the Adiemi goal was an awful one to concede. And Chelsea, you know, I put this out on social media, Chelsea do have this habit of being counted on from their own corners and it's not new. It's uh, something that happened under under Tuchel as well um, and something they probably really do need to sort. Um, maybe is isn't as as big an issue when Angola Kante is that last man because of his recovery pace and his defensive ability, but... When you've got Enzo Fernandez being faced by a very quick player who's running directly at him, I know he's got some some criticism for maybe how he defended it, but honestly, there's there's not a lot I felt he could have really done. Especially as Adiemi was very clever and and took every touch as he advanced the ball on his right foot, and then suddenly shifted it over to his left. It was a uh, uh, if it was by design, um, it was absolutely excellent misdirection on his part. Um, or maybe it was just natural instinct to do that. Um, but either way, a very poor goal for Chelsea to concede and leaves them with a, a not insurmountable task at Stamford Bridge, obviously, especially given the chances they had. They would bat themselves, I would guess, to take at least one or two if they were able to create that many chances again. But it's, it's frustrating not to be going into that game with the lead that Chelsea probably deserve given the chances that they created. Yeah, I think, as you said, it was two
0: very different halves. Maybe Chelsea a bit more happy to defend in in the first half, and they they did show a lot more control in the second. But Chelsea did have chances. As you said, Felix, two two really big chances. And I think Felix Kovacic and a couple of the guys had, like, four shots each. So... I think what's maybe positive for Chelsea is that they are creating better chances than what they have done at other times this season. But again, we're having this narrative of Chelsea in the forward. And given the Champions League squad that Graham Potter did pick, that lacks uh, Fafana and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, we, of course, saw those criticisms start to emerge should Aubameyang have been in that squad. Um, I think initially I'd probably be inclined to think probably not because he's not being used in the Premier League is available but do Chelsea need a traditional number nine obviously Graham Potter has been pretty adamant that you don't need one to succeed but at the moment it maybe feels
1: a little bit like we do um sort of a yes and no isn't it really I think it's been highlighted I can't remember who it was um that Chelsea have succeeded without a traditional number nine they won the Champions League without a traditional number nine um so you don't need one in that broadest sense to, to 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 have success but i think you look at this chelsea side now there's a lot of invention in in the sort of three behind the forward with char felix playing uh very much in a free role and then doing very well you've got mudrick who's still finding his feet i think but we know he have you know in in certain circumstances especially he can be a big threat uh, Hakim Ziyech was was okay against Dortmund. Nani Madueke was okay against West Ham. You've got Raheem Sterling set to come back soon. Uh, Christian Pulisic will come back. So there's a lot of there's a lot of creativity in in that three. Um, no matter the combination that you you want to use. And yeah, I can see the argument that if you have a a number nine a finisher in this team, that that they do score the goals, but. There's been an element of revisionism, I think, post Dortmund about Pierre Emerick Aubameyang. Um, yeah, the decision to leave him out the squad, of course, is is a big one. And uh, you know, I spoke about this a lot before the squad announcement was made. That no matter what decision Graham Potter made, it was going to be the wrong decision. Um, unless Chelsea won all their games and won the Champions League, there were always going to come a time when. Uh, that this debate would rage as to whether or not uh, you know he yeah he made the wrong decision taking out Aubameyang. If Chelsea had conceded three against Dortmund the other night, it would have been well he should have gone with Baddy yashil um, So he was really damned if if he did and damned if he doesn't in that respect. But Aubameyang hasn't played well since Potter's early games in charge. He hasn't scored since the Milan game at San Siro, which was all the way back in October. He hasn't really shown much when he's actually come on in games as well. So I can understand the perspective of having a number nine. And I do agree with it to an extent, but I'm not necessarily sure that Aubameyang is the cure-all solution that people feel he would be. Um, but don't get me wrong. Look, you have him in that team uh, on, on Wednesday night and maybe Chelsea do nick a goal and come back to Stanford Bridge uh, level.
0: Yeah, I think the interesting thing is obviously going into that kind of squad, we both picked who we would um, put in the Champions League squad as well, and I think came out with the the same players as what Grand Potter did. Um at the time, I think Obama Young being left out of the squad did make sense given given the role he's kind of had under Graham Potter. Um but what, what stood out to me on um, on Wednesday night is and, and this is rare for Potter to do and maybe it's something to do with how well Chelsea were playing at the time, but he didn't use his full allocation of substitutes um, kind of trying to look for that extra goal. And then what stood out because of that is what happens to Chelsea in this competition if Kai Havertz get in, gets injured?
1: Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's the big concern I guess. Yeah, um... You could maybe argue that you could play Joe Felix further forward, but I do think you'd lose a lot. Raheem Sterling's played as a nine on occasion, um, but it certainly isn't his best role or even his favoured role. Um, yeah, it's that's the the big risk, and it's one that Chelsea will hope doesn't doesn't come to, to, to fruition at any point, but uh, it, is, uh, it is something that they have to consider. I'm sure Graham Potter will have an idea of what he'd like to do if if That scenario ever plays out. Um, look, Kai Havertz isn't necessarily playing his best football right now. Or, um, and we know that in his view, he isn't a number nine in the purest sense. He's happy to play there, he'll very much do his job for the team. And it, you know, it does get overlooked quite how much work Havertz does in that front line because a lot of it is. And not necessarily unseen work but it's work without reward he does a lot of closing down of a lot of closing off of angles which ultimately don't really do much in terms of eye-catching moments or or sort of actions on his part but he does do a lot of work um so it is some of the criticism is unfair but look he isn't a natural goal scorer and he isn't someone who attacks the box necessarily in the way you'd want a number nine. You know, he he isn't the guy who's breaking into the six-yard box very often to finish chances. Um, Raheem Sterling's actually probably better at doing that, um, and I'd probably argue Christian Pulisic is as well from those wider areas. So there are other ways to approach it, but uh, but yeah, I mean, if, if something happens to Havertz, then it is a massive problem for Potter because he'd have to rejig so much of that front line, and and he. I imagine wouldn't want to do that because he is starting to get a tune out of the attacking players yes not necessarily in terms of just pure output of goals but chances are now being created which which they weren't being done before really Um, and Felix has had a big part of that and you wouldn't particularly want to shove him further up the pitch if you can avoid it yeah for sure and
0: obviously you mentioned about some other impressive performances in in that match um, and I think one that stood out for me given all the conversations ahead of the match is perhaps Kalidu Koulibaly. Um, he's obviously been out of the team as Benoit badia and Thiago Silva formed that partnership um, that has looked really promising. Uh, Koulibaly of course perhaps looked a little bit less secure um, immediately after the return from the World Cup when he was trusted in that role for, for so long and um, uh, obviously missed the game against West Ham through illness and then has came back in ahead of the likes of Chalaba. Um, I thought he was actually really strong against Dortmund for the most part. And I guess as Chelsea's defence has been pretty strong for most of the season, I think they've got the third best defensive record in the Premier League. Um, but we've kind of had these sort of weaker moments highlighted by the fact that Chelsea don't score. And perhaps that has led to a little bit um, of distaste around Koulibaly and and how he's played this year. But as I said, Dortmund, I thought he played really well. Um, How how did he look live in action? And um, yeah, what did you make of his performance alongside Silva?
1: I thought he played, he was solid, um, which is what you want, uh, especially given his his prior performances. Look, uh, Koulibaly, when he arrived, he said that it was going to take time for him to adapt to English football, to Chelsea, to a new culture, a new language. Um, although his English isn't isn't too bad, uh, and, and he he'd been at Napoli for the best part of a decade. It was a club he knew inside out. He was comfortable in. He was he was idolised at um, and viewed as one of of the best centre backs in Europe for for much of his time there. So to step away from from that environment was always going to be big. To step into a a new style of football um was going to be big especially at his age and and maybe he has found it harder than he anticipated um because his performances haven't been at the level you would expect for a player of his quality um maybe that is is a confidence thing maybe it's an age thing or or maybe it's none of these things and it is just a, a pure period of adaptation but i think the champions league might help him in that regard it's slightly less frenetic, although, you know, this this was Dortmund, but it is slightly less frenetic, I think, than the Premier League matches. Um especially on on Wednesday night there was uh, there was a bit more space as well. Um and I say I thought he played well. Does that mean he starts against Southampton? <sighs> Maybe because I think at some point Chelsea are gonna have to rest Thiago Silva. Uh he's played more minutes this season than any Chelsea player, which when you consider he's thirty eight years old is somewhat ridiculous, but also massive, massive testament to his professionalism, uh, Silver's that is, his professionalism and the way he recovers and looks after himself uh, to be able to do that. Um, so maybe Koulibaly comes in and maybe he plays alongside Badia Shiel or maybe, or maybe Trev Chalaba comes in and, and and plays alongside Badia Shiel. There, there are options there, but um, but it was a good stepping stone for Koulibaly, uh, Dortmund, is now whether or not he can build on it Going forward, whether or not he'll get the chance to build on it going forward, um, because Chelsea have, I think it's three games before before they take on Dortmund again, uh, Southampton, Tottenham, and another, uh, which escapes me right now. Um, but uh, but yeah, so it, it was it was a good stepping stone, a building block. But until we see him produce probably six, seven, eight of those performances in a row, you'll still have the question mark over over long term. Can he adapt? enough to to really become an established part of this Chelsea defence especially at his age. Yeah, I think
0: Leeds might be that other game before the Champions League returns. Uh, yeah, some big games for Chelsea as always. And I think another interesting one was to see Ruben Loftus-Cheek keep his place alongside um, Enzo Fernandez. I think we obviously all realize given the the fee paid and the performance so far Fernandez is going to be the player that Chelsea build around in that centre of midfield. Um, what have you made of Loftus-Cheek um, in his role? Obviously, I think early in the season, he, ha- he had some very good form, maybe Chelsea's best central midfielder as everybody around him seemed to get injured. Um, and I guess, how do you see Fernandez's role moving forward? I think we spoke previously about it would be a shame not to see him in a more advanced position at some point in his Chelsea career as well.
1: Yeah, I thought Ruben did did okay. Yeah. Um... He balances Fernandez fairly well uh, in terms of bringing a, a different physical challenge. Uh, he's fairly secure on the ball. Um, well, he wasn't. He was not Dortmund. Um, Ruben Re- played in a double six, especially in, in that sort of role at academy level a lot. Um, so it's one he knows. It's one he's comfortable in is it his best role i mean you know he's 27 years old now so i feel we should probably know but i feel i still think as an eight in a box to box role is his best but he can do this one um and and as chelsea have you know people like mateo kovacic coming back and denis zakaria coming back does he start maybe maybe not i mean zakaria was was really forcing himself into the starting 11 with his performances prior to getting injured, if he can get back into to that vein, and I think he's quite a good foil for Enzo Fernandez, really, uh, because I think Zakaria can do a lot more of the leg work and and enable Fernandez to get on the ball a little bit further up the pitch than he is maybe now. Um, I think longer term we will see Chelsea either sign a more sort of defensive minded midfielder to play alongside Fernandez um, because. His, his passing in the final third, his ability to break lines is something the Chelsea midfielders needed um, and it may be to really bring out more of the attacking players than, than you want him further up the pitch. Um, the wild card, I guess, is N'Golo Kante. A Fernandez kante partnership, I mean, if you've got Kante back at anything close to his level of... 2021, I mean, that is a, a absolute top tier partnership because you'd have Kante doing a lot of the destroying, a lot of the breaking up of play, providing a lot of energy in that midfield. And and then the responsibility would be on Fernandez to be the playmaker and, and you know, keep Chelsea in possession, keep Chelsea f- moving up the pitch, helping them progress, um, and, and, you know, opening up defences in the attacking third. So if Chelsea can get Kante fit, I, I don't expect him to be fit a hundred percent for Dortmund at home there's a chance he will be at least back around the squad at that point um but if you can navigate Dortmund and then you get N'Golo Kante fully fit and you get him back into some sort of form akin to that 2021 run then who knows where Chelsea could go because that midfield uh, partnership would be would be very tantalizing and, and probably very very impressive
0: yeah, certainly one to uh, put a smile on your face, I think, that midfield. And I guess another partnership which Chelsea have been waiting for for a long time, though they are not quite as closely as aligned as two central midfielders, is Ben Chilwell and Reese James were back on the pitch from the kind of start for the first time in what feels like years. Um, I think Chilwell, obviously, his first start after coming back from injuries had the two substitute appearances, maybe he had a little bit of warming into the game to do, but immediately you could see his more kind of natural attacking instinct than Marco Carrere. Um Obviously a shame to see Chilwell uh, have a little bit of a limp as he walked off, though Potter did say he thinks it was because of a kick um, he received just before that substitution. But that's one we wait to find out ahead of Southampton. How much of a boost is it for Chelsea
1: to have those two guys back fit? It's huge. It's huge. We, we know how important Reese James and, and Ben Chilwell are to this team. Um I thought it was midway through the second half. I'm just going to focus on James first. It was midway through the second half that James got the ball out on the right flank and then just sort of went on a surge past three or four players. And that to me was the first moment really since Rhys James had returned that he just sort of remembered what he was really. Um, it was a moment where I think everything sort of came back for him in terms of, yes, I'm going to trust my body to, to handle this run. I'm going to trust myself and my ability to get past these players until they stop me uh, by foul means. Um, I think that was a big moment for him. Um, And I think going forward, we'll start to see Reese now start to to really get back to his best form and his most dominant form because when Reese is confident, when he has that complete trust in his body, he almost has a, it's almost an arrogance to his game where he knows he's probably better than the, uh, than the person he's up against. And he's basically not afraid to steamroll them um, through his talent and, and sort of his physicality. So, yeah, that was an important moment for me just to see Reese back uh, at that sort of confidence in himself. Um, and yeah, Ben Chilwell on the opposite flank. He's not 100% fit yet. He's still working his way back. I thought he did fairly well. Uh, he linked probably better with Mudric than, than Kukurea has. He were a couple of nice sort of advances forward where he he sort of overlapped. And it's not something we've seen as much from Kukurea. Um But that being said, as you say, he – I did spot before he went off that he was limping a little bit. And, you know, it's one of those things when you see Chilwell – or any player really limping, you, you have that concern, especially one who's been out for a long time. Thankfully, it doesn't seem to be too big of an issue, uh, touch wood. But, um, but for Southampton, I mean, the logical thing, and I've written about this, this morning, is that Chilwell doesn't start because you don't want to push his body too hard too quickly. Um, he made, uh, he sort of played 10 minutes against Fulham at home, a little bit more against West Ham, and then to suddenly play 70 minutes is a big jump. Um, and with less than seventy-two hours to prepare for Southampton, for me, I think Kukurella comes back in because you, the last thing the last thing Chelsea want and the last thing Ben Chirwell will want is to be pushed too hard for his body to not be able to to take on that strain just yet, and to then have another setback. Um, so he has to be managed carefully, as does Rhys James on the other side. Still, you know, you have to manage these guys carefully after so long out. It will be. He'll be the same for N'Golo Cante when he comes out, given uh, comes back, given he's been out for six months. You have to try and balance, you know, their recoveries with Chelsea's ambitions. Um, of course, we'd love to see them both starting every week, but I think the reality is they have to be managed carefully. So, yeah, great to see them back. I'm not sure they'll both start against uh, Southampton. I think we might just see one of the two, and I think it would be more likely to be Reese.
0: Yeah, I think James has been an interesting one, actually. I think he, in the last two games, has probably came on stronger as the games went on. Um, I don't know whether it's a little bit that kind of just finding your way through the match to start off with, but I think that's really promising from his ability to play for 90 minutes. Um, But but do you think he he will be fit enough to start against Southampton, or will he be a little bit cautious?
1: I think he will. He's completed 90 minutes back-to-back, uh, I think he'd be ready to have called upon. I, I mean, it's a risk. That's the thing. I, I personally would go with the reason, but I wouldn't play him for 90. Um, just to be sure, obviously, game state will impact that to an extent. but And maybe the fact there's a week off um, between the Southampton and Tottenham games gives you that little extra leeway. But as I say, yeah you have to be careful with these guys because we know the, the year and a bit both Reese and, and Ben Chilwell have had. They've missed a lot of football over the past 12 to 13 months. They've had setbacks. They've had difficult moments. And, and the last thing that anybody wants, um, uh, anyone of a Chelsea persuasion anyway, is to see these guys sidelined again because they push their bodies a little bit too hard or, or they've been asked to push their bodies a little bit too hard. So, yeah, not an easy one for Graham Potter because you do want to try and build up some momentum, but you you have to try and manage these guys as well. And given their importance to the team, you you, you have to do it very carefully, I think.
0: Yes, for sure. And I guess we'll move on to the Southampton game. Um, obviously, last time the sides played was very early in the season. Thomas Tuchel was still manager Probably one of the worst Chelsea performances I've seen cover the club. Um, it was quite a despondent day. Thomas Tuchel was pretty angry after the match in terms of what he'd seen from his team's ability to defend in key moments, I think. and Obviously, that was a match without Timo Werner, who has had such joy against Southampton in recent seasons and ensured some big wins. Um, but what, what do you see for this game? How confident should chelsea be i guess the answer is probably not very given their current form but how, how big is getting the win just to try and find some momentum um and i guess you could probably say that with any game for chelsea at the moment but given i think is it two wins since the return of football from the world cup um how how crucial especially against a managerless southampton
1: side yes it's massive. I hadn't quite realised it was just two wins. I knew it was, uh, although, you know, it's, I think it's three in the last 18, so I shouldn't be that surprised. Um, yeah, the Southampton game at St Mary's was, as you say, one of the worst performances of, of the two-core era. He was hugely, hugely critical of the players after that. Um, you know, I remember him saying, as you said, defensively they were so, so poor and I remember him talking about pure mentality pure defensive mentality was the way you you stop that and I mean as you highlighted earlier, Chelsea actually do have the third best defensive record in the Premier League so maybe they have tightened up a bit Um but you'd like to think Southampton without a head coach are they bottom? I think they are aren't they bottom of the table <sighs> It feels like a gimme for Chelsea, the perfect team to to come back off a Dortmund game where they played well but didn't get what they deserved. So, you know, it's an opportunity to to you know, I say this almost sort of tongue in cheek to actually get some goals under their belt. But um, we know with Chelsea, it's not necessarily that easy. Um, I, I feel like we should all be confident, and it's a game that we should be almost you know writing the intros for of a chelsea win and and a morale boosting victory for graham potter but it's just not been that easy for chelsea um and if south looks like if Southampton comes to stand for bridge tomorrow sit back defend deep uh to obviously quote jose Mourinho, part the bus i mean that's that they are the games in you know that chelsea struggling um and have done under both Potter and Tuchel, to be fair, you know, when teams have low block and, and or get a lot of men behind the ball, Chelsea have struggled to break these teams down very, very often. And it's actually why I was more confident that Chelsea would win against Dortmund, which obviously they didn't. But I was more confident that Chelsea would perform against Dortmund and play well than I was against West Ham because of, of the kind of contrast of styles. Um, so yeah, if Southampton come and sit deep and defend and look to frustrate, then it might be a difficult afternoon for Chelsea. But you'd like to think they get a win here. I mean if they can't get a win here, then yeah, the, the negativity will spiral uh that little bit more and and you know, there'll be more talk about Potter and the process and, and X Y and Z. Um so yeah. Fingers crossed.
0: Yeah, I think it does put a lot of pressure on them, whether Potter and the team admit that going into the match or not. I think to kind of just make it stark in terms of the opportunity Chelsea have, Southampton have conceded 40 times in 22 games this season. Um, Chelsea have only scored 23 times uh, in the Premier League. Um, So hopefully an opportunity to put that right. I guess if we're looking for goals, who who do you see starting in that forward line? I guess instinct would say Kai Havertz is going to be leading again, but should we expect Nani Madweke to come back into the team? Uh, he would have trained yesterday um, while perhaps some of those guys who played against Dortmund uh, went a bit more of a recovery mode.
1: Oh, who leads the line? Um, good question. Not easy to decide that. Um, <sighs> I mean, probably Kai Havertz. Seems the most logical, doesn't it? And most obvious. Um, It'd be very, very unexpected to see a Bamiangen in the front line. Um, You know, David Datra for has made his case uh, when he came off the bench against Fulham, but the fact he didn't come on against West Ham uh, when Chelsea needed a goal and had a change, it just felt quite telling that Potter obviously doesn't think he's there yet. He's not ready just yet for, for that. That kind of uh, regular first team involvement. I expect Nani Madueke will come back in. Badia Shiel will come back in. Probably a couple more who didn't feature against Dortmund will come in. Maybe Mateo Kovacic is is fit enough. Maybe Denis Zakaria is fit enough. Um, we'll see if Raheem Sterling's fit as well later on at the press conference. Um, because yeah, I mean this game is is a Saturday 3pm off the back of a Wednesday 8pm UK time. Um, that's not a lot of of time to sort of turn around uh, a group of players. They would, they you know, the ones, the players who didn't train, uh, sorry, who didn't play in Dortmund, all trained yesterday. Those who did play in Dortmund were doing recovery session. Um, so you, you you'd think there would be some changes just to freshen things up a little bit. Um, and Chelsea have such a big squad that if you make changes, you're not necessarily weakening the team. You're just using different options who are equally as as strong, so yeah, I, I imagine there'll be a few changes. How many we'll see. Um, maybe we'll get a better read on that uh, at the press conference later today, and, and we'll have a st- stronger idea as to what Potter might do. Um, sort of late, later this afternoon on, on Friday.
0: And to put you on the spot a little bit, does Obama Young make the squad at all this time?
1: I think he will, I think he will just because Potter will know that if he doesn't make the squad, there'll it, be more and more talk about it. There'll be more speculation, more questions asked, more just debate and more noise around Chelsea, which I don't think Potter loves. I think he'd like it to be a bit more quieter. Um, so, yes, I'm going to be bold and say that I think Aubameyang will be in the squad. Whether or not he gets on the pitch is a different issue. Um, but, hey, if Chelsea need a goal and he's actually on the bench, then why not? Yeah, and I think three points will quieten things down more than anything else at the moment
0: as well. Um, I guess as kind of like a last point to touch upon, um, we have seen this week Chelsea have two, I guess, additions to the Cobham environment um, in that Andre Santos has returned from... South America and his fantastic performances in the under-20s competition there. He was, I think, in the stands at Dortmund. I think he posted on Instagram uh, that he was watching that game. Um, and also, we've had confirmation uh, this morning that Malagusto is going to be around at Cobham recovering from his, I think, in a hamstring injury, suffered from on, and is going to be around for the next sort of eight or ten weeks. How positive is it to kind of have those guys around the the environment so that the squad can get to know them, even if they can't uh, immediately be available for the likes of this weekend.
1: Yeah, I mean, for them, it's it's important. Um, we've still not really heard or had confirmation yet if Andre Santos has, has uh, been granted his work permit after Chelsea, uh, you know, took the process of reapplying following his performances at the Under Twenty South American Championships. I mean, you'd like to think it will be because he very much showcased there that he is a uh, sort of quote unquote special talent, and I think there are there are provisos in the work permit application. Criteria that uh, they know. If you are an extraordinary talent, then, then maybe they'll they'll give it to you. So you'd like to think that will happen. Um, and then we'll see how he progresses. I mean, he's 18 years old. He's coming from the Brazilian second division. There's a lot of hype to him and a lot of people saying, get him straight in the first team. He'll be fine. And look, maybe it would be. Maybe it would be. But it seems fanciful for an 18-year-old to... To come halfway across the world, to come from playing in the Brazilian second tier to then thriving in the Premier League—I mean, it sounds very—it sounds unlikely. So maybe there will be some some time in the development squad for him, just so he can get the, I guess maybe just the football fundamentals, you know, the language, especially the just the basic. Football language that you'd need on pitch to understand. I know you know a lot of players are, are multilingual, and he'd have Thiago Silva there if he was in the first team. But uh, but just for his own progression and, and to make sure he's not overawed, because the last thing you'd want to do is throw him into the team in a Premier League environment and him, him he struggle and take that hit to his confidence. You want him to come in uh, at the moment he's ready. So so yeah, it, it will be good for him to now settle into life at Cobham to to adapt. To just get to know people, to get to know his environment and maybe to get to know the English game a little bit with some time in the dev squad before getting those first team minutes, perhaps later on in the season. Um, and for Malagusco, I mean, it's not ideal, of course. You would rather him not be at Cobham having treatment with a hamstring injury for a couple of months. But, you know, he's going to be arriving in the summer. Uh, so in his, in his own personal life, just to be able to have this time at Cobham, to have this time in England, I mean, I imagine he will be probably finding somewhere to live in this time now for when he does arrive in the summer. I mean, it it will probably help him actually get everything set up so that when he does arrive in the summer full time, he will have already done a lot of the off-field stuff that people probably forget that players have to go through, uh, when they arrive in a new country, um, which may help him just settle into the group much quicker than than if he was arriving in the summer and then having to do all these things. So probably good for both of them. Uh, well, definitely good for both of them, um, different circumstances, but a uh, good opportunity for them to get to know the club and and for people at the club to get to know them and, and, and sort of begin to understand them as players and people.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I guess just a. To- Actually, finish off this time. What are you expecting at the weekend? Chelsea versus Southampton. What is your prediction?
1: Oh, God. Uh, Chelsea win 2 0. Why not? Why Two not? Goals in one game. game. Chelsea score some goals. That's all we want. Yeah, that would be a great
0: result to end the week on for sure. Um, thank you for joining us once again. If you didn't catch our first episode, please go back and listen to that. We talked. All about the state of play at Chelsea. Um, there's a good half an hour or so that you can listen on to find out what's happening ahead of the summer. Um, but please do subscribe to the podcast in whatever platform you choose to listen to. Leave a review if you can, especially if it's a good one. And uh, yeah, stick with London for all the latest goings on from Chelsea. And we'll have all the action this afternoon and this evening from Graham Potter's press conference and also from the game against Southampton tomorrow, where hopefully Chelsea will come away with a 2-0 win. So, thank you for joining us, Adam, and thank you for joining us everybody else.